0: welcome to hsbc talks business the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights trends and opportunities make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes thanks for listening and now on to today's show welcome to inspiring progressive female entrepreneurs podcast mini-series that seeks to empower and support women who are on the journey of growing and scaling their business. We'll speak with inspiring women about their stories and get practical advice from entrepreneurs who've been there before. This podcast has been created in partnership with Albright. Thank you for joining us. Hi, and welcome to the HSBC Female Entrepreneur Series. My name is Eugenia Prattley, and I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by Jasmine Crow Houston from Goodark. We're lucky to have Jasmine share with us her personal experience about her journey into entrepreneurship, but how she came up with an incredibly unique solution to a problem that is probably shouldn't be there in society. To be honest, it's a problem that doesn't need to exist, yet it does. So she's went on to create a company called Gouda, which is a dy- dynamic platform with a mission to end waste, fight hunger and feed communities. They have a national network across the US and they've found a solution by harnessing the power of logistics and tech, which I think is a very unexpected solution to help reduce food waste. Jasmine, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So before I get started, I. Just want to hear a little bit more about your story. Can you talk to us about what is Gooder
1: and how did it begin? Yeah, so Gooder is a sustainable waste diversion company. We work with large scale businesses and help them keep all of their food out of landfill. It's a very organic start for me. I previously led a consultancy where I basically worked with celebrities to help them define their giving blueprint and how they were going to use their star power for good. And I was doing that for about eight years. And I said to one of my clients one day, the people that are standing in line for a turkey in November are hungry in April too. This is not just a one time a year kind of opportunity to give back and I would say that my clients were mostly athletes and entertainers and so that was really their goal is to continue doing that and when I drove through downtown Atlanta one day after I had just moved here I just saw hundreds of people experiencing homelessness and it really pulled on my heartstrings and I thought this is what you've been talking about Here's an opportunity for you to do something. And so I started feeding people that were living on the streets out of my kitchen back in 2013, and I was doing that for about three and a half years. And a video from one of my pop-up restaurants actually went viral on Facebook. And so I woke up one morning just to millions of friend requests and comments. And as I was reading through, a lot of people were saying, this is amazing who donated the food and the truth was nobody. I was couponing, price matching, taking five, $10 donations and figuring out a way to feed 500 people. And so when I saw those questions, I was like, you know what, I should get this food donated. And like a lot of people, I went to Google and I searched how to get food donations, what happens to extra food at the end of the night from businesses. And I fell into this really big rabbit hole around food waste. And just became really upset at learning how much food goes to waste, not only in this country, but all across the world. And that was really the impetus to get Gooder started. What really struck me when you were telling
0: your story and when we first caught up before this is, is, number one, the scale of the problem. I think it's absolutely enormous. And I think it's something that many of us are privileged not to think about a lot of the day. And so that's sort of point number one. But point number two was this actually isn't a problem that needs to exist because the problem that you discovered, isn't that there's a lack of food. It's not like we don't, or in America, we don't produce enough food to feed people. It's that we're not able to get it to people. So it becomes a logistics solution, a a logistics problem rather than a product scarcity problem, which I think was absolutely, I want to say genius, but also shocking. That's actually where the crux of the problem was. So how did you then go from running, A, you had your your normal day job of helping other people create incredible organizations and give back in really meaningful ways. So clearly leading with purpose is at the forefront for you. But then you were doing these wonderful pop-up restaurants, giving back to no more than 500 is enormous, 500 people in a week on, on a weekend. How do you then take that step to going actually this is a logistics problem because neither of those things are necessarily logistics background for you
1: yeah i think what i saw is to what your point is saying it's not a scarcity issue because i think in the beginning i used to think we need to grow more food there's Mm. not enough food to feed this growing population and That's like a big issue. And so learning that in fact we are wasting 40% of all the food that we produce, that showed me right away that this was not a said then logistical problem, scarcity problem. It was really about how do we get all this food that's otherwise going to waste instead get it to people in need. And so that was really the eye opener for me. And I said, hey, this is a logistics problem. If this food is going to waste at a restaurant at the end of the night, it's all about someone getting there to pick it up and giving it to somebody in need. And also the restaurant not now having to give food directly from their business into the hands of people, because then that becomes a little sketchy and there could be a lot of liability issues there, but really making it a business to business transaction. I think also seeing that waste companies are trillion dollar, this is a trillion dollar Mm. industry. Everybody Mm -hmm. has a trash bill. No one ever says even, or you have a trash or recycling bill, right? So even if you're recycling, there is a way that you are getting rid of things in your household or at your business, and it never goes away. And so that was really just eye-opening to me to say, okay, this is a logistics problem.
0: Yeah. And so you've had this, you found the perfect answer to this incredibly awful problem. What did you do then? Did you say, okay, I need to go and get experts in this field. You've already said it's a trillion dollar industry waste. It exists. This is a very traditional industry. Did you try to approach them or was it you actually saying like you did with your restaurants, your pop-up restaurants, I can do this. How did you begin that journey?
1: I think I started mind mapping what the business could look like. I think that was like mm. the first thing for me. Okay, how would this work? And just literally just writing notes. Like I would pick up the food from the business. I would get it to the nonprofits. I would need a driver to do that. I wasn't a technical founder. So of course I couldn't code anything that I was thinking of. So I spent a lot of time um entering hackathons and going to office hours and meeting with engineers and just trying to get all of the details to what this business could be mapped out and that really was helpful and so I started working I had the idea for this when the video went viral in February of 2016 and I started talking to people about it and people were saying like this is crazy no one's ever going to pay for that that will never work and so I was like god they probably are right this may not work for me and from there I started thinking like all right now I need to Figure out a way to actually like make money from this business. What would this look like? And I started to again go back and look at the fact that waste companies were basically making money now. That's the thing I think it isn't. Anytime you're trying to solve a problem, you really look and see, okay, how is it being solved now, and how Mm. it was being solved is businesses were paying these waste companies to take perfectly good food and just throw it in the landfill, all the while passing thousands of people on the way to that landfill that that need perfectly good food. And so I think that was it. Just learning as much as I can. I went to school on YouTube. I attended webinars. I, I really put myself out there as someone who was trying to learn. That's
0: absolutely amazing. And I, I'm just sort of struck by your drive to, to do this and to make this a reality and a reality you have, because can you tell us a little bit about Gooder today? So I'll give a, I'll give a little spoiler alert you may have seen the news about Gooder that you've recently closed an $8 million round this year. You are a for profit company, as you mentioned, you do make money. It isn't a non for profit, which I think is an interesting point we'll get to in a moment. But you do a lot more now than just waste food that's a terrible term but the excess
1: food collection. Yeah. Can you
0: tell us a little bit more about Gooder's output today?
1: Yeah, so I think today Gooder has a two-sided business model. One is all around food waste solutions, which is what I started with. Going to a business that has excess food, that's throwing it away and helping them take it out of landfill and instead get it to better use. So those uses are typically, if it's edible, we're going to donate it to our nonprofit network, of which we have thousands of nonprofits across the country who can receive that food. If it's non-edible, we give our customers a couple of solutions. We can help them compost it, which is turning it into soil. We could turn it into animal feed. And in some cases, if we have enough waste, there are a lot of other opportunities with anaerobic digesters and just a lot Mm. of upcycling where we could turn this food waste into energy, renewable gas. There is a lot of opportunity here. And so that is under our food waste solutions in twenty twenty. Uh, When we were hit with this global pandemic, as you can imagine, a lot of our customers, large scale venues, these airports, these convention centers, these colleges and universities, stadiums and arenas Mm -hmm. were closed. And what I knew for sure was that people were still going to be going hungry. And so we really started to then work with cities and school districts on how do we make sure that we address the hunger need so one of our first ever customers in that was the atlanta public school district where they had just made lunch free and breakfast free for all fifty five thousand of their students and so we were now delivering their meals to them while they were learning virtually so we really reverse engineered our model instead of going from business that was going to waste food we went from business that was preparing food for the purpose of getting it to people in need and so that still exists today We have pop-up grocery stores where we work with a lot of different brand partners, everyone from Amazon to the NBA, and we go into food deserts and set up these free grocery stores, very similar to like my pop-up restaurants back in the day, and allow families to come and get a week's worth of groceries for free, sponsored by our partners, and we just do so much around that. So it's been a really fun journey to see us get to this point it's absolutely amazing
0: i was doing some reading about your pop-up supermarkets and pop-up markets and what i think is incredible and we touched this a little bit in our call beforehand but what i love about the what gooder is doing it's also about dignity it's about giving people choice it's about making people feel like they have a say in in their in what, in their food and what they're doing and what they're selecting. It isn't necessarily just like a here, take it. And I think sometimes there's a lot of good intention in preparing, I guess, say soup kitchen style. Whereas a lot of what you're doing is really about giving that extra dignity, which sometimes gets a little bit overlooked in these transactions.
1: Oh, all the time. I think that's like, Something that I saw. And again, when I was first building the company, as I was mentioning, I spent a lot of time immersed in the problem that I wanted to solve. And so Mm -hmm. I spent time volunteering at food banks. I would go to different friends that had nonprofits and were doing food distributions. And I would see the food that they were receiving to give out was food that just wasn't going to make meals for families. Mm -hmm. And I saw that to be a really big problem. We were giving people bags of food. And I talked about this. In a talk that I gave a couple years ago, we literally were giving these families like a gallon of barbecue sauce, some canned vegetables, some chips, some ding dongs. There was no meat, there was nothing that went together. And there were, in fact, 50 plus families waiting in line for this food that wasn't going to produce them any meals. And that was something I saw early on that I was like, hey, I've got to solve for this. Mm, that is so powerful and
0: so gooder is to me as an outsider complete stranger makes a hundred percent sense to me that it's a no-brainer but building your business i'm sure you went through on the journey and as we know you went along you got investor funding as well you've managed to scale the business across many cities in america how did you start selling the story of gooder and how did you get other people to come on this journey with you Because to me, if I was an investor, I'd be like, let me write you a check. But I'm not. And I'm sure not everybody said that. So if you don't mind sharing, we would love to hear it.
1: Yeah. And it's totally, I would say, uh, it's not as easy as it seems. I think people just think, oh my God, this has been this rocket ship and everyone's Mm. investing and it's been so easy. And ironically, it really has been very hard. I think there were a lot of people that would say early on when I was trying to get those investment dollars, oh, hunger's already being solved, or people are doing this already. This is the nonprofit thing. This is not a business opportunity. So it was really hard and it still is really hard to convince investors to join you along in hmm. this journey. Even though I had the revenue, I had the traction, I had the foresight of how this was going to work. The truth was a lot of investors don't understand hunger and they've never been hungry. And so when I was going in and saying, hey, in America alone, 42 million people are going hungry. We're wasting 80 billion pounds of food. Like these problems can solve each other. It just didn't resonate with them. And so what I had to really focus on doing is showing the business opportunity for this business. This is why it makes sense. This is how it's going to make money. This is where the market is starting to trend to. And then I think people started to believe and say, okay, this makes a lot of sense now, but it took that time to get there for sure. So you
0: already had a fantastic background in setting up charities and non-for-profits for other people. Yet you chose to create Gooda as a for-profit business, a corporation from day one. Why did you go down that path? And second question to that is what are the pros and cons of both? Sort of what are the benefits?
1: I think the benefit for me is I had a lot of experience in the nonprofit sector. Mm -hmm. That is where I had spent nearly a decade of my life. And I set up a lot of different nonprofits. And what I knew was that nonprofits, one, you're always trying to get donations With, I think the business side, of course, I'm trying to get fundraising and I'm trying to go along that path as well. But the donations, I felt like sometimes were harder to come by. And so that was one of the things that I thought I could get started today if a company just paid me to pick up their food and deliver it to people in need, like that's the better way. So for me, it was really trying to just being able to see the obvious. Businesses Mm -hmm. were already paying to throw this food away And now I was going to come in and become a better solution for them. So that is really, I think, the reason why I decided to be a for-profit as opposed to a nonprofit. It's just my personal experience.
0: So how far into your journey of Gooder did you think, okay, I need to get some investors on board? Was that sort of in the plan from the very beginning or was that something that you arrived at on the journey?
1: I don't think it was a plan from the very beginning. I don't think I knew how much it was going to cost to build technology. Once I started getting that together, I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to need money to do this. And because I was so involved in like the hackathons and like going to these different events and office hours and meeting people and learning from other founders who had started companies before me, I was... It was like, okay, this is going to be a path that you could take to mm. get funding. I was looking at grants. I was trying to look at the Ni- National Science Foundation, just all these different opportunities. And I was like, wow, like this is going to take a long time. I didn't have any real proof of like how this was going to work. So I thought, hey, venture capital could be an opportunity for me. And, and I started looking into it.
0: I th- that's a perfect lead into my next question, which is how did you find the right people to join good? Or how did you start that process of going, okay, I'm going to need investors. I'm going to start making contact.
1: I started to get into, again, these accelerator programs, incubator programs. And from there, they would make introductions to investors. Uh, and so that is what I did. And it's a path that I recommend Early on, I do feel like a lot of times female founders, especially founders of color, can sometimes be over-mentored and underfunded. And so you (laughs) wanna be mindful of like how many accelerators, how many programs you get into, but there are some who their sole purpose is to make sure that you get funded. And so they want to introduce you because they want you to be successful because it makes them look be successful. And they also take a small percentage of equity in your company. So they want you to earn something. So that was my path to like meeting investors.
0: That's a really great answer. And I think it's a really good tip for people who want to, to, to go down that path is to try to get to, into these programs and get those warm introductions or if not face-to-face meetings are possible. We've got another question that's come in here, which is more about starting to find the right people behind you because Gooder is a team. It isn't just you, although I'm sure in the beginning it was, you said that you don't have a tech background, so you had to start learning those skills. How did you find the right people to bring on to your team and build this business with?
1: The team is always hard, right? I think that is, it's one of those things where it's not an easy thing. I think early on, I was like hiring my friends. Hey, come and join the company with me. I can pay you a little bit of money and you can still kind of work on what it is you're doing while we're building this company. And there were a lot of mistakes made there. Then when I started to be like in pitch competitions and talking about the business and trying to pitch it, I would meet people at those pitch competitions that would come up to me and say, Oh, I love what you're building. Is there any way I could help? And so there were ways that I would start to make those inroads. I think now that we've been in the market for five years and people see that what we're doing, we just get so many people that just come to us. And it's an amazing thing to have happen, right? Where people are like, I've been working in Silicon Valley for 10 years and I'm sick of like building social networks. I want to do something that matters with my life. Can I come and work for your company? You guys have open positions. But that came with time and it came with mm. us really doing the work. So early on, I think I did what everybody did. I hired who was the low-hanging fruit, the people that were around me, the friends, the people that I felt like I knew. And there were some mistakes there. I definitely hired some people that and kept them on. I would say a little longer than I should have. And you live and you learn. And I think that's one of the things that I think a lot of early business owners like myself probably do. And it's just something that we shouldn't do. Like to the extent that you can spend time to try and find the best people.
0: How do you know when you've got a good candidate in front of you?
1: I think for me, I always look at like, how does it feel? Like, does this person feel like someone who understands the problem? For me, one of the questions I used to always ask was, Why does hunger matter to you? Why does this? um, Why do you care about this problem? And the answers were always so great. They were always just around the problem, but from a different lens. That is so powerful. You started in Atlanta. We now know that you're in many cities
0: across America. How did you begin to scale and expand your locations? Did you have a strategy to it? And do you have any advice for people? beginning
1: that journey? Yeah, I do have a lot of advice. I think it's about trying to use the networks that you have so that you can grow where you want to go. And so for me, I started to do two things. One, I knew I was trying to solve hunger. I also knew I was trying to solve food waste. So there are two things that are really clear to me. The bigger the city, the more businesses, the more potential waste. Also, sadly, sometimes the more people that are experiencing hunger. Mm. So I had. A really tops down approach where I used to try and go and get a, cus- a company that was in a mo- multiple cities and multiple locations that I could scale with them. And that's really how we got to quite a lot of cities pretty quickly is that we made, we created partnerships with companies like IHG Hotel Group mm. uh, that has, I think now 16 or 18 different hotel brands under them. So from International wow. Hotel, interna- Intercontinental to Kempton Hotel Group. these different hotel brands under them so we were able to scale with them and build into some of their different cities and some of their own properties and so that was definitely one one way to do it take a tops down approach two is just to look at the cities where you have some kind of connection whether it's like family when you have to dallas is a city that we're really scaling in and that's actually where i was born so those are the two things i would say is understanding the market and the market size and what it looks like we started in Atlanta so it was like trying to find other metropolitans that were similar to Atlanta was a big focus for me and then also trying to figure out where I had connections whether that was friends family or customers and where's
0: like where's the
1: ceiling for Gouda could it go international oh 100% yeah I think we get so many messages and there's a lot of famine and a lot of need. One of our big food service customers is in the, in the, in Europe and they're already asking us like, Hey, how can you get us, how can we get you to Europe? So yeah, I think we will be international one day soon. How do you
0: manage the relationship with your investors once they're on board? It, it, in some circumstances, it can really change the, the dynamic of the business and leadership and the direction. How have you been able to manage those relationships?
1: I think it's just about, for me, I constantly write investor updates. I think that's like a big thing for me. So I'm always writing investor updates. I'm always trying to make sure that I'm staying in contact with my investors. And I send these updates like once a quarter, but I always put in all of my investor updates at the end. Hey, if you want to meet with me, let's chat. And the truth is some investors are more responsive than others. Some investors are a bit more invested than other investors. And so for me, I am making myself available to the investors that want to help. And so there are ways that I nurture those relationships. And I know that no matter what happens with good or having an investor relationships is important because my little sister wants to start a business. I meet people all the time that are starting businesses. So I want to be able to refer them to people. That is really
0: fantastic. Jasmine, thank you so much. We truly appreciate your time today. It's been absolutely phenomenal and a huge fan of your work, as I think you can tell. And we hope you got to learn a little bit of some of Jasmine's secrets to her success and some some of the lessons that, that she's been able to learn and pay forward along the way. So thank you so much. You've been listening to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, HSBC's podcast miniseries dedicated to supporting women on the path of growing and scaling their own businesses. To access more resources for female entrepreneurs, please refer to the description of this podcast. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.